We've been doing this series now for a few weeks. We have gone through the different uh, words that the culture has defined as love for centuries, um, including our own today. And we've arrived at the greatest form of love or the greatest view of love, which is agape. This morning we're going to start really looking at the practical life of what love should be. Okay? This agape love, this unconditional love, this highest form of love that you and I can live out. The title of the sermon this morning is Living a Loveless Life. Living a Loveless Life. You see, many of us tend to go automatically into autopilot when it comes to love for others, when it comes to love for God, when it comes to doing things that we believe love is, and many times we fall into this thing called self-deception. How many of you have ever been wrong about something only to realize after a while you were wrong about it? Like you didn't know right away. I think all of us that have, have been any time on this earth, we know that we don't instantly figure out when we're wrong. In fact, um, how many of you that are parents know that your children many times don't know that they screwed up? And you have to explain it to them. And you have to explain it to them. And you have to explain it to them. Does that get boring? Does that get annoying? How do you think God feels with many of us as adults that are children in adult bodies? Doing the very same thing. I've told you this is wrong. I've told you this will damage you. You still did it again. You still did it again. And you know, sadly, what I think happens when we become adults, we tend to kind of get hardened in areas that we find that we don't like to be told we're wrong. And what we tend to do is give ourselves an excuse we wouldn't allow our kids to have. Amen, parents? Can I hear your man on that one? We do that once in a while? Am I the only one? Must be the only parent that does that. If you have arrived, please let me know. I would love to see you after church. I'm going to get some tips from you. If I ever write a book, I'll add that in there. You know, the thing is, is we tend to find ourselves constantly assuming things that are not true. And the reason we assume things that are not true is because we tend to find our security in what we think is right or wrong. And because we find our security in what we think is right or wrong, that standard tends to change based on the circumstance, does it not? What we don't excuse somebody else for the other week, we give ourselves a pass this morning for. Right? Like, before we go to church, we have certain things that we would probably do as a routine if this was our job. But when it comes to church, for some reason, it's okay to do things differently. It's okay to arrive late. It's okay to do things differently based on, hey, this is going on, here's what happened. And we give ourselves an excuse, we give ourselves a pass, right? Now, does God understand that things happen? Does God understand that circumstances don't go as planned? Of course he does. But I think what tends to happen for us, and to us many times, is that we find ourselves constantly trying to approve of what we know is wrong. And the reason we do that is because we don't use God's standard. We have our own that we've built up. And we have our own that we build up over many years. That is the reason why if you were to ask people if they love others, if they love people, if they show love to other people, most people would have a resounding yes to that statement. I do love others. I do love my family. 
I do love my kids. I do love my spouse. I do, and literally we'll just repeat that over and over. Frankly, folks, love has gotten cheapened in our culture. It's gotten cheapened because love is not defined by what God says. It's defined by what culture wants. And sadly, we've bought into it, even those of us that have been Christians for many years. We've tended to look at others that, and say, hey, you know what, they're, they're not a loving person. They don't really love the way they ought to. Why? Because the standard that they're not matching up is ours. Can I, can I be frank with you? We're going to deal with this in the next coming weeks. Love speaks truth. It rejoices in truth. We're going to get to that. If love does not have truth, it's not biblical love. That is the reason why when people want to say the most loving thing you could do is not tell anybody anything that they're doing wrong, that's the most false statement you can make. And we're going to get to that in the next coming weeks. You see, agape love, is just as a way of review, is the most noble word for love because it originates from God's own nature. Agape love finds virtue and praise for the other and giving of oneself for the other. This love is unconditional in that even if the object of this love does not respond as angered, spiteful, or wishes ill, it continually pursues. That's how God is with us. We absolutely blow it. And guess what? He still pursues. Isn't that mind-blowing? He still pursues, even though we blow it all the time. Agape love is a sacrificial love that God shows because he is this love. God is love. This is the love that he's defined by. A few warnings we talked about last week. A person committed to live out agape or unconditional love may experience a variety of emotions. We talked about the fact that you are going to have your emotions go all over the place if you truly want to live this love out. Because this isn't one of those, I feel good kind of love. Okay? In fact, feelings don't have anything to do with this. This is unconditional. Whether I feel like it or not, I'm going to show this person that I care and I honor them. This is what... I would refer, and the world would probably look at in Christianity and go, that's crazy love. That's insane. You're weak to love like that. Let me tell you, folks, there's no stronger love that exists than the person that lays down their life for their friends, as Scripture says. That's the greatest form of love. And that word there that's used is agape. Agape love lived out may mean the other person never changes or ever responds in the way we would like. If you have people in your life that you've loved unconditionally, you know that this is true. You know full well this is true. You want change in their life. You've prayed for change in their life. You've reached out, you've done everything, and they still don't change. Does that mean agape love needs to go away? I would suggest it does not. In pursuit of loving others unconditionally, one may lose oneself and their own identity. You see, there are dangers in trying to live unconditional love apart from God and his word. There are major, serious damage that we can cause ourselves if we live outside of God's word and trying to live this love out. Why? Because we're going to tend to think unconditionally about certain things and then say, well, this doesn't apply right here. How many of you have ever found, your, found it difficult to love certain people? And I'm using this in a generic sense. I'm not asking you to be agape and think through the theological implications of what I'm saying. How many of you found it difficult to love some people? Just in a practical, it just, it's difficult, right? What, what are the things that make it difficult to love people sometimes? They don't respond, right? You know, have you ever talked to people that just, it's like you're hitting a wall. Um, I love you. No. Do you think maybe, just maybe, 
One of our issues when we try to love people unconditionally is, is di- it's more difficult for us because we don't constantly go back to how we've been unconditionally loved. Do you think that might have something to do with why it's so difficult for us sometimes? Remember this verse phrase that says, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you? you know, that, that, that's why you should be forgiving of others. That's why you should love others because God has done that for you. God gave, you should be a giver. And sadly, most of us, whether we like to admit it or not, we default to the taker position after we've given enough and we're sick of it. So, moving on this morning, we've looked at eros, which is romantic love. Uh, culture is very prominent in that. You see that all over um, our culture, in, especially with, with movies today. Uh, storge, which is familial love. That's the natural love that a parent has for their children and vice versa. It's really just a familial love. You don't really need to tell a parent to love their kids. They just default to loving them. That's, that's why even couples that divorce still love their kids. It's, it's, it's a natural love that God bestows on us. And then, as we look at this text right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we want to start looking at what life without love looks like. In fact, Paul here in this text does not start off by telling us what love is. He shows us what it looks like when you don't have love. He actually starts with the opposite to then strongly build the case of what love looks like and is lived out. So, one thing I want to start off with, as we look at this text, do not think that you automatically have nothing in this text that applies to you. Because the more I dug in this text, the more I was stunned how many things Paul mentioned that I think people default in thinking that's loving. And Paul goes, you can do it without love. You can absolutely do that without love. Here we go, starting verse number one. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. So Paul starts off with a construction that literally reads, If with the tongues of men I speak and of angels. Paul is intentionally separating tongues of men and tongues of angels for effect, inserting a hyperbole for emphasis on this point. The gift of tongues was given to a certain early group of people as a ministry tool to reach others with the gospel. The Corinthian church had desired the supernatural gift so much that they emphasized it above the others. That was the most important thing to them. And Paul just comes right out and says, this incredible gift that you're striving for, if you have no love, doesn't mean anything. All you're, all you're going to become is a loud noise to other people. And sadly, the text here shows us that you and I, and we're going to talk about this a little bit later, you and I can just be a distraction. Trying to do these things for God without love becomes a distraction. The text then moves on to discuss another incredible gift that the Corinthian church was impressed by was the gift of prophecy. Notice what it says. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. Wouldn't that be nice to like know all that? Just have all the knowledge in the world. Just have it downloaded into your head. It'd be pretty incredible. Would it not? But notice what he says right after. 
And though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Paul, really? Are you serious? Like, this is what you're saying? That even if I had all this, that wouldn't be enough if I didn't have love? That's exactly what he's saying. Do you see how love is important, this whole ingredient? We're going to talk a little bit more why that's why it's such a key ingredient. If you knew everything there was to know about God but didn't have love, it amounts to nothing. If you will, you had the ultimate faith, you could take a mountain and move it. Remember, Jesus actually made a statement about that. Jesus actually makes a statement. He says, For truly I say to you, if you had faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. So it's not that God or Jesus is, is discouraging us from exercising faith. In fact, faith is the avenue by which we get into the kingdom. By faith alone. Through grace alone. Faith is not to be discarded. It is of utmost importance in the Christian life. But if it's devoid of God-given agape love in the way it's lived out, that person is reduced to nothing. Paul finishes this section of love, loveless living, by stating things that most back then probably would consider as love by mere act. How do we know that? Well, look at this. Paul tells us that you can do two things that most people associate with acts of love without love. What's the first one? And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. Do we not associate people that give as loving people automatically? I mean, is that not our default? Like, yeah, that person's a loving person. Look at how much they give. You know what Paul's telling us? You got it wrong. You can give without love. And that's dangerous. What else does he mention? And though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. You know what he's saying there is? If I gave my life for others without love, it doesn't benefit me one bit. Shocking if you really took it at face value. These are all the things that everybody in the world, including a lot of us as believers, describe love many times as. And Paul is telling us, no, you can do that without love. We're going to break this down a little bit. I really want us to think, because to me, this was very eye-opening. I've read this chapter multiple times. I've actually memorized this chapter for, you know, when I was growing up as a child in the church, I had to memorize this whole chapter for Bible quizzing. I screwed up when they asked the question on it, but that's besides the point. Um, the reality is, is this is a text that most of us are familiar with. Why? We've seen, it, we've seen it in weddings. If you've ever been to church, people quote it. They, you know, here's, here it is. What most people don't quote is the first part of the chapter. <laughs> What a loveless life looks like. I mean, we, we love to get to verse 4. I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to get there, okay, folks? We're not going to stay here and be depressed all day. You know, we're going to get through the others in the next coming weeks. But I think it's important to set the stage the way Paul does. Because there's a reason for it. And what Paul does here is he literally flips on its head the assumption that people have that they think they love. And Paul is going, you can do that without loving we're going to take a look at the fact that faith is not to be discarded. It actually is connected with love. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. You can do all these things in your life and still not love. 
If that's the case, what exactly is Paul driving at here? I mean, let's ask ourselves the question. Paul, what are you driving at? Why would you say this to us? If I could put it in the modern vernacular, that's not really loving, Paul. (laughs) You're not loving. Why are you telling us this? I'm supposed to feel a certain way when I read this. You're making me feel bad. You know, sometimes the most loving thing we can do is tell somebody they're wrong in love. That's what Paul's doing here. What he's saying is, you think you know what love is. It's not what you think it is. You can do those things without love. So we're going to look at three specific descriptions of loveless living. Number one, and we're going to look at certain phrases out of these verses that really, I think, really bring this all into focus. Number one, three descriptions of loveless living. Number one, distraction to others. We see that in verse one with the phrase, sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Number two, loss of identity. See this in verse two. I am nothing. Or another translation would be, I am a nobody. Loss of identity. And number three, no personal benefits. Verse three, it profits me nothing. We're going to look at all three of these here this morning. And I promise you there's going to be a lot that you're going to go, wow, I didn't even think of this before, simply because Scripture here is giving us images, Paul's giving us images to think through. And I think we just brush through the Word of God many times, just read the text, yeah, yeah, I've heard this, yeah, I shouldn't be a clinging symbol, yeah, yeah, I get it. That's there for a reason. It's not to be ignored. We're going to talk about that here this morning. So number one, distraction to others. Okay, Verse number one, let's start it off again. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love... I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. You see, when we live a life without love, we tend to elevate our personal skills or gifts to the point of being a distraction to others rather than being a help through love. For example, how many of you know uh, people, hopefully you're not one of these, that have the answer to everything? They're so gifted, any question you ask, they always have the answer. Ever met one? Hopefully you're not one. If you are, today's your day to repent. (laughs) The reality is, we all know people like that. And what's even more disappointing is we have people like that that think that they're loving people by just telling people a bunch of stuff that they know or how they're gifted. And that's not love. Just because God's gifted you with a certain gift or skill does not mean that you get to just show off to everybody else because it's about you. It's not. It's not. It's not about me. And sadly, a lot of people in the church, they try to go out of their way to impress everybody with what they know and what they have been gifted with rather than who they know and who it's all supposed to go back to. You see, most people that need to be shown love don't need to hear a 30-minute lecture as to why the decision they made was wrong. People that need to be loved don't need somebody being the expert on the thing they're struggling with. B, 
Being gifted or skilled in something others may not be in does not mean that one helps without concern for others' well-being. Being gifted or skilled in something others may not be in does not mean one helps without concern for others' well-being. You see, some people tend to try to help at the worst possible moment. You ever had that happen? Like, you actually want to be left alone, and they barged in right at the wrong time. I want to help you. I want to be left alone. Am I the only one that ever has that happen? Or has that happened to more than one of us? Truth be told, if we don't understand what love is, we're going to do things our own way. And we're going to assume that we are loving the person when, frankly, we're just not. If we do have any love, you know who it's for? Me. Look at how special I am. You know, this is one of the problems, I think, with counseling people in a church. You see, Scripture warns people like me and those that are spiritual leadership that we be careful lest we get overtaken in the same fault that someone else does. You see, it's easy to give the Bible verse for why this is a horrible sin, you should stop doing it. You know what's harder? To make sure that I'm practicing what I'm telling you to do. That's a whole lot harder. Because here's the truth. Any of you could pull up 1 Corinthians 13 and tell me what love is. Is that not true? Of course you could. You know what's a lot harder? Living it out. Put it into practice. Show people that love that God calls you to. You see, don't show up in people's lives at the wrong time because you think you just want to be a help. The most loving thing to do sometimes is to stay away at the wrong time. Okay? Here's why. In fact, Scripture actually says something about this in Proverbs 25, 17. It's not just me. Okay? Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. It's the Bible. I'm just preaching the word. That's it. That, that doesn't mean you don't go over people's house, okay? Just let me throw that disclaimer in there. It just means don't aggravate people to the point of trying to constantly be a help when they just want to be left alone. Pray for them. You can show love at a distance sometimes. We talked about this last week. You don't have to be in proximity with them five, every five minutes to really show them that you love them. Look, frankly, some of us are really irritating to deal with when someone's going through a hard time. We text people ten times a day. Look, they got your message. Leave them alone. Okay? I'm sure if Proverbs was written today, something about that would be in there. Okay? Don't go out of your way to do things you don't need to do. You can still love somebody without being aggravating. And frankly, being a distraction to them from what God is showing them in their life. How many of you have ever had that happen? You have something God's working on in your life and just people just distract you. It's like, oh, this is going to help you. Hey, folks, let me, let, me, let me be a little more practical here. If you want to help somebody spiritually, one of the things you don't do is go, hey, let's go drink so we let go of our problems. That isn't biblical advice. Let me just throw that out there. Even for those of you that drink, and it's not a sin to drink, I'm not saying that. Pastor Rome's not saying it's a sin to drink. Okay, repeat that. But that shouldn't be your go-to when you're going through problems. Like, that's the worst garbage you can give somebody. Hey, you know what? Don't worry about the Word of God. Come have a drink. Especially when the word of God is not even present in the whole dialogue. 
Now, if you're having a beer and you want to do it around the word, great, do that. But most people don't do that. Most people stay as far away from the word when they do that stuff. They tend to hang out in dark places at night, all depressed with their little cup. As a side note, there are some of you in this church that are very good at understanding this. You see when people are going through something, and you stay away for a little while to make sure you're not just intruding and being a distraction to them. Can I encourage you to keep doing that? Don't become that annoying distraction. Show people love the way God wants them to show love. Don't, don't try to assume that they need you 24-7. We can be more gracious and understanding in this issue. God has gifted you with certain skills and gifts so that you can be a blessing to others by showing them love his way. Don't assume that you want to sit there and get the credit and the glory every time, and that's loving. You don't need the credit. You don't need the glory. He does. He deserves it. So show love that way by showing and redirecting people back to him. Now how awesome and wonderful you are. And look at that, I saved you right in the nick of time. Last time I checked, Jesus is the hero, you're not. So, carry on. You can be more concerned with what others think of your gifts or skills causing distraction and not them. There's nothing more nasty, I believe, in God's eyes than people that want to parade what they're doing for others. In fact, scripture we're going to talk about this a little bit later Scripture says a lot about not showing off in front of people. In fact, we're going to talk about it. Love does not parade itself. It's actually in this chapter. It doesn't go, look at me, I'm loving. Love doesn't do that. Love quietly does what God calls it to do. And with the gifts that God has given that person, they reach others without making a scene every time. It's that private note that's sent to somebody. That text message. Not ten. One. Two, maybe. That's not a distraction from what the person's going through. You see, you and I become a distracting gibberish or noise, as this text says. Clanging symbol. Irritating people. Have you ever had anybody just bang away at the drums, Matt? Just... The symbols only. Children, does that not get aggravating? How much you want to bet that would be a distraction right now if somebody went up on the stage? It definitely would. And that's the problem. We become that kind of distraction. We become that kind of distraction. We want to sit there and take the glory for ourselves and how gifted we are. People should be drawn to Christ, not our gifts. Not what we can give them. You give because he gave, and you give him the credit. Godly gifted people in Scripture did not want to be a distraction. I can go throughout Scripture and show you David, Daniel, but one of of the examples is John the Baptist. He actually makes this statement, he must increase, but I must decrease. John goes, I don't want to be a distraction to what Jesus has come here to do. It's not about you and me. 
In fact, when John let Jesus take over, he completely exited the scene. Number two, loss of identity. Verse number two. Look at what it says. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. I am nothing. That's the phrase. Or I am a nobody. That's what you can also translate it as. We lose our identity when we assume that knowing more is enough without love. In fact, Ecclesiastes actually has something to say about this. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 18, Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, probably has something to say about this that he would know, being wise. He says this, The greater my wisdom, the greater my grief. The increased knowledge, to increase knowledge only increases sorrow. Having more knowledge does not necessarily constitute more love for others. Now, how do I know that? There are many things we've read throughout our lives, right? You know, we've read an article. We've read a book. We listened to a lecture by somebody. And how many of us have actually applied all those things that we already learned? We've read that parenting article about how to raise great kids only to realize we're still failing miserably. You see, knowledge does not, in any way of itself, profit anybody without love. Without unconditional divine love, we constantly find ourselves guilty of losing our identity. We don't really know who we are, though we've read many books hoping to find this answer. The truth is, we are nothing or nobodies because we don't know Him who gave us our identity. What do I mean by true identity? You see, you and I can read multiple sources to find out what people or authors say about us, but there's only one that's been completely accurate. That's the Word of God. You see, if I were to write a book or you were to write a book as precise as you would want to be, it's not the standard. It just isn't. The Word of God is the standard. The Bible tells us that we are undeserving sinners on our way to hell, and God unconditionally loves us and sends Jesus on our behalf. Do you see how it needs to get beyond just knowing and head knowledge? Do you see how God loving us unconditionally is beyond him knowing we are messed up sinners? Imagine if God just knew how messed up we were and didn't do anything in love. Oh, I know. You can't help yourself. Sorry, you're on your own. And yet he enters human history and says, you know what? I'm going to save my people from their sin. I'm going to love my own unconditionally. You see, the problem really is for us, we view ourselves as the standard of knowledge and the reason that is the case many times is we don't do so, so many things in our lives out of love because we're more impressed with what we know than what we do. 
Let me tell you, folks, I, I think I've had this conversation with a few of you already. A lot of Greek, and particularly the Corinthian church here, the one that Paul's t- writing to, they were very impressed with what they knew. They were very impressed with all the knowledge that they had. The Jewish mindset was, what are you doing? Not what you know. You see, here's, here's part of the problem, I think, with a lot of Christian circles. And I think everybody can get, be guilty of this in one way or another. We tend to try to keep expounding, expanding in our, our knowledge base, but our practical living is falling very far behind. I don't, need, I don't think you and I need way more truths that we've never learned before. I think we need to start applying the ones we already know are clear in the Bible. Now, God still wants us to pursue knowledge. God is not wanting you to be an ignorant fool. That's not what I'm saying this morning. But if you're not doing what you already know, what's the point of learning more? What's the point of progressing in knowledge if you can't do the basics? That would be the equivalent of somebody studying a certain subject for years, how to be an engineer and never putting it into practice whatsoever. Here's the sad part, folks. That's what's going on in the church today. We have a bunch of people that know a lot, but do very little. We need to repent. We need to repent in this area. We need to turn away from our false identity and turn to him who gives us our true identity. Look, believer, you can fall in this trap as well as the person that's not even a believer. This isn't like, oh, you, you know, you're inoculated now. You don't have to worry about this. Christians struggle with identity all the time. It's one of the reasons why Paul says, you're nothing. I'm nothing if I don't have love. And what kind of love is he referring to? He's referring to unconditional love that the Father has given to us, that he demonstrates to us by sending Jesus Christ. That's the love he's talking about. It is precisely here what we find in the Word that we find freedom to finally know who we really are. There's no greater garbage that we buy into as believers than when we let the world define our identity. What's even worse, and frankly it's insulting to the name of Jesus because he suffered for our sins, is when believers don't believe sin is sin and they excuse it and find identity in sin. That's our culture today. Blank Christian. I don't need to fill in the blank. If you and I are going to identify with sin as being what God wants, then we don't have his word as our standard. And knowledge is not going to save us on that one, folks. Only his unconditional love that we understand really resonates with us because he ultimately paid for our sin. He became sin for us. You swap with Jesus. It wasn't a fair swap. It's completely unfair. I'm glad God's not fair. Glad he's gracious and merciful. You don't want God to be fair. A fair God does not give you any good options. A loving, unconditional loving God gives you something that you could never buy. 
You see, you need to find your identity in Christ more often by being in the Word more often. Most Christians have identity crisis because they're not in the Word enough to see who they really are. You want to know who you really are before God's eyes? Read the Word. And get beyond just one verse on Facebook. Open the Word. That one verse is still going to be powerful. The Word still has power. But I promise you, there's something about reading the whole context of what God is talking about than that one verse we pull out of context. Christian faith, experientially lived out without love, leaves our identity void. Christian faith, experientially lived out without love, leaves our identity void. What do I mean by that? So many people, by faith, see incredible things that God does in their life. They see that God's gifted them with the spouse that they have, the children that they have, provided them with the perfect job to pay the bills, giving them what seems like extra money out of nowhere. You know what tends to happen? We lose our identity in those things. Because we don't have love. And we don't understand love. Because we don't have an intimate familiarity with God's agape love for us, we pout right after the miracle that God provides for us. How many of us have had something incredible that God's done in our lives? And like shortly after we go in our little pouting session, that it wasn't more. Well, I'm glad you gave me this, God. Couldn't you have given me a little more than that? And even thank him for what he gave you. Sadly, I think what happens to a lot of Christians is that we have our little pity parties. And sadly, many of us don't even realize we're having them when someone points them out. You're feeling sorry for yourself. No, I'm not. Totally rejoicing in the Lord right now. I know he loves me. (laughs) Come on, have we not done this? You see, this unconditional divine love is essential, else we lose track of who we are and whose we are. It's more important to not know how. God has blessed you with the things he's given in your life. It's important to know whose you are because that identity is now found in Christ. It's not the stuff he gives you. The stuff he gives you is nice, okay? Love my house. Love my kids. Love my wife. But his love is what gives all of us that. His unconditional love for us. What does scripture say? We, he gives us freely all things in Christ. To enjoy. God blesses us in ways we don't even imagine many times. Because we're too, we're too, how can I say this, shallow in our view of love? In fact, I think we hold God to a standard we would never hold anyone else to sometimes. We assume God needs to heal us on the spot. Fix our marriage on the spot. Deliver us from sin on the spot. And we don't look enough at the cross to be reminded that that's the identity we're found in, not the other stuff we're asking God to take away or give. You see, faith and love go hand in hand in the Word of God. It's not either or. 
We can see this clearly in Scripture. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16 says this, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Paul here is saying that both of these are in your life. They're both key ingredients in your life. Faith is the response to God's love for the believer. You, out of faith, do certain things because you know God has loved you. They go hand in hand in the Christian walk. Number three, what does a loveless life look like? What is another description of a loveless life? No personal benefits. Now, some of you are going to probably go, well, there are benefits sometimes. I mean, we're going to get to that in a second. Verse number three. It profits me nothing. You see, we can do nice things for people without love, but that will only leave us empty. Folks, I'm not here to rain on your parade. I've done it myself. The kind deed for the day can be done without love. You see, whenever I open this text, I step back and I went, wow, thanks, Paul completely wrecked my view of what I thought love was in my life. Like I said, the emotional side of you, that's not very loving. But he's telling us the truth here, folks. How does he tell us the truth? Well, notice what the text actually says in verse 3. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. You can give it away without love. People do it all the time. I just think we're not honest enough. There are many things people do for the less fortunate that have absolutely nothing to do with love. You guys uh, realize that the tax code is written that if you donate a certain amount, you get a tax break? You think that's always out of love that people give? Who are you kidding? Who am I kidding? Let's be honest here. It's not always out of love. A person may do something for others based on an emotional response of some need that they see that needs to be met. You know, see, there's a reason why you and I are moved by certain emotional things we see on the screen. And let me tell you practically, this agape love is not what we respond with. Should it move us when people are hurting? Absolutely. Is scripture for being generous to others that are in need? Absolutely. Not negating any of those things. But is it possible to do them without love? Well, the text says, totally possible to give to those that are in need out of, without love. Shocking, but true. Wow, Paul, way to wreck our cultural perspective of what love is. You see, we elevate people that give to others and assume that they're the most loving people we know. When sometimes there's this thing inside of us that... We really don't like to talk about, but it's this thing called self-love that's doing it really so we feel better. In fact, it's actually proven statistically. When a person gives, there's something that's released in our brain that makes us feel good. When a person gives, there's something in our brain that's released. It makes us feel good. Have you ever felt good when you gave to somebody? Let's be honest. Am I the only one that feels good when I give somebody? Goodness, nobody else. Luke, good job, bud. Appreciate it. Son's being honest here. I think only the little kids here have admitted to that one. I guess 
None of y'all never feel good when you give, right? I hate giving. <laughs> Kidding me? Yeah, I'm doing it out of love. No, come on, guys. Everybody does, okay? It feels good to love people that way. Because you can actually love that way, too. But sometimes you can do it without love. And that's what I'm asking us to consider. That's what the Word is telling us to consider. You see, there's a quote that's been around for a while, but I can't nail down who said it, because I literally looked it up online, and probably four different authors came up, and I'm like, I'm just going to go unknown, so that way I don't get misquoted, and someone goes, that's not who said it. Okay? The quote is, you can give without love, but you cannot love without giving. You can give without love, but you can't love without giving. God so loved the world that he what? Gave. That's how he demonstrated his love. He gave. Truth is, though, you and I can give without love. There's always a temptation to give to others in need in order to be praised by those watching. How do we know that? Well... Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, this is where Jesus really nails the Pharisees for this one. Unless you be thinking you're holier than they are, you have the same proclivity. Let me warn you up front. Okay? Be very careful not to do your good deeds publicly to be seen by men. Otherwise, you will have no reward prepared and awaiting you with your Father who is in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor and do acts of kindness, do not blow a trumpet... Hashtag gave. You know, don't do that. Okay, sorry, it's the modern version. Uh, and, sorry. To advertise it as the hypocrites do, like actors acting out a role in the synagogues in the streets so that they may be honored and recognized and praised by men, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, they already have the reward in full. But when you give to the poor and do acts of kindness, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give in complete secrecy so that your charitable acts will be done in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. One of the most loving things you can do is not parade yourself when you're giving to others. Love does not parade itself. We're going to talk about that. It's not showy. Christians that are full of themselves is not something that God's happy with. Christians that give in order to have everybody give them recognition is not what God's after. Is it right to honor people? Absolutely. I don't think that's at all what's talked about here. The point is you and I should not have that as the motive to give to others. If someone finds out, great, that's fine. But if our motive is to get the attaboy or girl right away, hey, you know what, oh, isn't he so nice, isn't she wonderful? You miss the point of giving. You miss the point of love. It doesn't do anything for us to sacrificially give of ourselves and not to do it out of love. That's why it doesn't benefit you any. You see, you think the praise of people benefits you? It doesn't. Because you're inside you're still the empty shell you are. And that's why you and I need the high again. You know, Once we've given once and we saw the response, we liked it, we've got to get it again. So we, we do it again. Hey, hey, look, see, here's what I'm doing. We can't stop ourselves. We've all had moments where we've wanted to take back what we've given to others because we didn't give it out of love to begin with. Have you not had that happen? You gave to somebody and you regretted that you gave it. 
maybe, just maybe, we gave without love that time. I'm not saying every time. Some of us have given to people we shouldn't have given. And then we regret it because they were foolish with what they did with what we gave them. I think God kind of sees that with us as well, though. So We're just kind of getting a little taste of what God gets to experience with us all the time. Oh, I gave you this. Yeah, I know you're going to squander the money I gave you. I know you're, going to, you're not going to be willing to give to others, even though I gave you and blessed you with more. You see, let's do a little self-examination here for a second. How easy is it to give to some cause you believe in than it is to hold back when you aren't so sure? Isn't it easier to give to something you believe in? Like, you believe in that cause? Sure, you got it. Sign me up. I'm going to give. Could it be that when we say we love God and we love others, we love our church, and we begrudgingly give the little we do, it's because we really don't love? We give God and others the leftover scraps of our time, money, and resources because we simply love ourselves more. Talked about this a couple weeks ago. A lot of us are interested more in me time than we time. Look, we all like our stuff. Everybody does. There's not a single person that doesn't like their time. Especially if they had a long week. Read the scriptures. See what Jesus gave of his time to others. And then go back and try to emulate that rather than your pathetic 9 to 5 schedule that you're so worked up about. I guarantee you Jesus dealt with a lot more than you and I do. And last time I checked, we're to emulate him, not those around us. This isn't a comparison game. My schedule's more busy than yours, so I should love less. What? If you've been given more money, you should give more. It should be a default. You've been given more, you give more. Yet, many of us, the more we're given, the more we're like, no, it's mine, it's mine, my precious time, my money, my resources. Doug's famous phrase, my precious. You see, truth is motives matter, folks. Motives do matter. Scriptures remind us of why we should be generous. It says in 2 Corinthians 8 9, it says, You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Your generosity as a Christian comes from a loving God who gave you Jesus Christ and was stripped of everything because he loved you. As a side note, most Christians that don't give do so because they don't appreciate what's been given to them on behalf of Christ. Oh, they have that sentimental feeling around Christmas and Easter. I love the Lord. Isn't he so wonderful? But most of the year, it's a moot point. If that's you, you need to repent. You need to go back to the cross, and the gospel message needs to apply to you again. Don't assume only when you make more, you'll give more. It's just not true. You don't give 
when you have very little, you're not going to give when you have a lot more. Money only reveals who you really are, whether you make a lot more or less. People tend to think, when I finally made it, I have that breakthrough at work and I get that bonus or that raise, then I'll be a giving person. Look, if you're selfish now, you're just going to be a more selfish person later. Just get over it and be honest with yourself for once. Stop deceiving yourself on that one. You see, if you're not doing well financially, maybe just maybe God wants you to go back to the Word and see what it is that He wants you to do with your money. Now, most people assume, oh, the first thing they're going to tell me is to give. No, God wants you to get your finances right. Know where your money's going. Don't just spend, spend, spend and wonder why you have nothing to give. The best givers are the ones that understand where their money is because they know how to take proverbial wisdom and apply it in their life. You should want to make more money. Let me put it right out there for you. You should want to make more money so you can give more. That's why. Not so you can hoard it for all of the things that you want on this earth. It's all going to go away. And we all like those things. I do just as well as you do. But if it's all about us and we don't have any heart for others and we don't love others, it benefits us none. Zero. In fact, there are different people in the church, and and, and Scripture in James especially addresses that, those that are more well-off and those that are doing worse. If you're more well-off, you should be willing to help those that are in a tough spot. Remember, the goal is not to parade yourself, tell everybody how awesome and smart you are, and how you know how to do a spreadsheet in Excel. That wasn't around back then, but you know, the point is, that's not what it's about. You should want to make more so you can give more. Christ had it all, and he gave you everything. Why? Because he loved you. You see, there's so many of us, when God sends us extra money we don't expect, our first response is simply to figure out how we can spend it on ourselves instead of what we can give. As soon as extra money is available, what are we going to give? Now's my turn, honey. I'm going to go buy what I want. I'm going to admit it. Done it. Pastor Roman, are you serious? Yes, I have. But then the word convicts me. And I want to respond different the next time because I blew it before. Some of us want something nice and new and shiny, but we are already crazy in debt. That's why we can't give to anyone else. You know the reason you and I many times can't give or do things that we want to do for others? We've locked ourselves in a cage and we can't get out. And we're wondering why we can't get out we continually put different locks on the door. And then what we do is the very spiritual thing. Lord, help! Help me out of this mess I'm in! And God goes, "Uh, last time I checked, you haven't been in the Word for over a month. And I've given you all the instructions you need here. But God, I want it easier than that. Can't you just miraculously give me a winning lottery ticket? It's not how it works. That's not how it works. 
Maybe that one person hasn't happened, but it's very, very rare. I think you have a greater chance of getting struck by lightning ten times, from what I read. So in conclusion, two questions to ask. Number one, do you know this God who loves? It's the ultimate question to ask this morning. Do you know this God who loves? You don't know Jesus, you will never understand this love. It's going to look crazy to you, because it is. It doesn't make any sense. Unconditional love for sinners that never really respond correctly? Yeah. And all they have to do is repent and believe? Yeah. And they get to swap their sin for righteousness? Yeah. That is what you and I need. That is the starting point. But believer, that's not the finish line. Number two, how many things are you currently doing without love? And I'm specifically referring to agape love. How many things are you currently doing without love? You see, God wants you to use your skills and your gifts in love. He doesn't say don't use your skills. Don't use the things I've gifted you with. He's saying do it in love. He wants you to live by faith out of love. You trust God because he's loved you so much. You live in faith because you've seen the faith that has been demonstrated throughout time past of all Christianity. And you've seen the love that God has shown to you. And you live that out. And you give of yourself and your resources out of love. You don't give just so you feel better. You don't give just so you feel that you've accomplished something to show off to somebody else. You give out of love without any care whether you get the praise or not. Because here's the truth, folks. When Jesus suffered on our behalf, there weren't a lot of his friends around. He was left alone. And that's where he demonstrated the greatest act of love. Not willing to just parade oneself, but willingly offering his life for us because he loved us. If these things are done without love, you are literally living a loveless life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to take your word and see more clearly things that we tend to associate constantly with love that your word says can be done without love. Father, we know that each and every one of us, we tend to give ourselves a pass on things that we don't give others passes on. We tend to give ourselves credit for things that you deserve the credit for. And Father, I ask that as we take what your word said to us this morning, that we would be willing to see those areas of our life that we are not living out in love. We're doing it through routine, through the mundane, through just what is expected of us, Lord. We ask that you please help us to reignite that fire of love that your word has so clearly, so clearly shown us that we find in the name of Jesus and in the face of Jesus. We ask this all in his name. Amen.